You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Shiny. Do you like? Nah. Yeah, we just wear where we wear what we're told to wear. Uh, I'm not a designer, man. I got no comment on the helmets. This ain't good. No. Uh, we come back next uh, week, uh, ready to f- go. And turn it up a notch. <laughs> good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Let's turn it up a notch. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Got a lot to get into on the show today. We got a big guest list. We got a giveaway. We got a Canucks game tonight. Uh, guest list begins at 6.30. Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast is going to join us. What else are we going to talk to Jeff about? Hockey, that's what. 7 o'clock, Ryan Wolstat, first-time guest on the program. We've been very neglectful in our NBA coverage, specifically our Raptors coverage. Ryan is the Raptors and NBA beat writer for the Toronto, uh, Toronto Sun. So we'll talk to Ryan at 7 o'clock about what the Raptors do from here. Do they try and sneak into the play-in tournament as the 10th seed, or do they tank? Mm-hmm. They tank the season. We'll talk to Ryan Wolstad about that at will, 7 o'clock. Will Ryan have any insight on what's going on in Milwaukee as well? We should yes. ask him. Yeah. That was pretty crazy because uh, Adrian Griffin, former Toronto Raptors assistant yesterday, was fired by the Milwaukee Bucks. It's the third shortest head coaching tenure in NBA history mm-hmm. because he was hired this offseason. To kind of right the ship in Milwaukee. And they're doing okay, aren't they? Okay. They have the second best record in the NBA. Right. Okay. Not good enough, though. So we'll talk to Ryan about that at 7 o'clock. 7.30. Uh, we've had him on the show before. Excited to get him back, especially now, given that we're into the meat of the NFL offseason. Randy Mueller is going to join the program. Uh, former general manager of the Miami Dolphins. Former general manager of the New Orleans Saints. He now works for the Athletic. Uh, we can talk to him about all these coaching vacancies. You know what I really want to ask him? What makes a good job specifically? What makes a good owner? And I think more importantly, what makes a bad owner? He wrote about this a lot mm-hmm. in The Athletic, talking about all these vacancies across the league. So we'll talk to Randy Mueller about that at 7.30. Uh, we do have a giveaway. As mentioned, we have a pair of tickets to give away to the Canucks and Blue Jackets game. If you want to see the Columbus Blue Jackets, well, okay, if you want to see the Vancouver Canucks, uh, last game before the All-Star break, January 27th, that's this Saturday. We are giving away a pair of tickets, Canucks, Blue Jackets, to the best What We Learned. And we should mention that we got an extra long What We Learned segment today. It stretches the whole hour from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So let's have lots of What We Learned. There are Canucks tickets on the line. It's a Saturday night game. Uh, it's against Columbus, but still... It's a Canucks game. We we sell we sell the Canucks now 
not the visiting team. Unlike and, before, it was like, you know, you get to see Connor McDavid. That's but true. But you got to admit, that's pretty nice when you can sell your own team. You don't have to pump yeah. up the other team. Exactly. I like that. Okay, as a matter of fact, there's a game tonight. We can pump up the home team. The Canucks will take on the Blues. 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Reminder, pre, post, and the actual game. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650. Working in reverse on the guest list. 7.30, Randy Mueller. 7 o'clock, Ryan Wolstat. 6.30, Jeff Merrick. We got a bunch to get into, so without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. And turn it up a notch! Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. On Tuesday, the Canucks went back to practice following their win over Chicago on Monday night. Uh, two big storylines emerged from practice on Tuesday. One of them is that they were wearing shiny blue buckets. The more important one, I think, is that the lotto line and the future of the lotto line was discussed in great detail by head coach Rick Tockett. Why don't we just go to the audio straight away here? Because Tockett was asked by Sportsnet's very own Ian McIntyre about the lotto line, who has been a group that has been ineffective over the last few games, at least in terms of... The eye test, they did score a couple goals on the power play against Toronto on Saturday night. But the bigger question here, and it's really a classic, is do you mess with a good thing? Because the Canucks are 9-0-1 in their last 10. Those are pretty good numbers, I mm-hmm. would say. They're not Oilers numbers, but they're they're pretty good. That's true. They're not Oilers numbers. The bar is high now, folks. Or do you keep them together because, you, you know, winning games? Uh, here's what Rick Tockett had to say about the current state of the lotto line following Tuesday's practice. Well, I think they've struggled the last three, four games. You know, I don't think you know, they, they, they. I don't think they're happy with their play either. And, you know, that Saturday night game, they were. I thought they were okay again. So, I, you know, like I told you guys, I'm, I'm not sure how long I would keep that line together. Um, but it's we're not, what, I mean, nine on nine on one since we put them together. So um, that's helped. But we'll see if I play them tomorrow. I don't know. We, we'll talk to the coaches about it. It does help that you go nine on one over a ten game stretch when the line is together. Um, you know, he also added if they're doing the job defensively, if you're controlling play, you don't always have to score. But the one good thing is they could be struggling a little bit, but they've come up with some big goals too. When lines struggle, sometimes they don't do anything. At least they're coming up with some big goals. They're playing average, but they've raised the bar. So we'll see if we keep it together. Um, they're probably going to keep it together tonight if they practice with it i sure feel like they will but talk it might be prepared to break it up the thing is you also have to consider the other lines this last game that they played the kuzmenko line with mckayev and Suter was good i call it the Suter line <laughs> they, they scored the first two goals right well, uh, quinn Hughes scored a second one but point taken well the line was out there though yes and kuzmenko was doing good work on the play. McKayev made a nice play on that as well. He went in there to support the puck. He got it to Quinn Hughes, who made the play. You know, for all the people criticizing McKayev, was it a big play? Not not particular, but it was a smart play, and it led to a goal. Um, then the other two lines were, you know, again, the, the Bluger line, are you going to break that up with Joshua and Connor Garland? And the fourth line, Nils Amon, Sam Lafferty, and Nils Hoaglander, they were really good against the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, granted, it was the Chicago Blackhawks, but 
you know, the Chicago Blackhawks were good enough to make the lot of line average. So it's a tough situation in a good environment for Rick Tockett. You're kind of like, oh, my top line is struggling, but we're winning these games. So do I really want to mess with this right now? Um, I, I want to. Here's, here's the thing. Here's my, here's my thing. Like, let's. If, if, if I'm the lotto line and I want to stay together, and who knows, maybe they don't want to, you know? Like, they don't seem to love to talk about the lotto line, That's right? That's a good point. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe they don't want to stay together. Who knows? Um, but if I want to stay together, um, I'm just going to go out there tonight and play well. You know, well, put it on the players to play well. If they don't, I think I think you should break it up because it's too important it's too important not to have your top six going. I think there's a couple things to consider here. One is the schedule. There's a very obvious time and a break, if you will, in the schedule where Tockett can ride out the current line formations as constructed. Then go into the all-star break and come back out with a fresh new look when they get off or get back on the ice after a week apart. That seems to be the most logical way or time to do it because... He did bring up a good point, and it's not even that good of a point. It's just a very obvious point. They haven't had a regulation loss in 10 games. Like, say what you will about whether the line looks effective or isn't effective. The fact of the matter is is that if you win 9 of 10, the team, as currently constructed, is effective. Now, could it be more effective? Potentially, yes. But what what are you going to say? Could you win games even more thoroughly? Could you dominate even more thoroughly? That's the big question there. I think the other part of this is... Don't you think it's also going to determine what the Canucks do at the trade deadline, this whole lot of line thing? Yeah, like, for me, if I never... If it's together, you, you go out and get another center. Right. If not, I, maybe you go out and get another winger. But I never saw it as being a something that was going to stick together for the long term because logistically, the other formation makes sense. When Miller slips into the 2C, it just gives you... More versatility. I think it gives you more strength down the middle. I mean, uh, all, yeah. the only problem was that Pedersen had no one to play with. I know. And that's the other part of this Not is, no one, but, you know. is Kuzmenko going to be able to return to some semblance of the player? And I, you can't say the player that he was last season mm-hmm. because you don't want the things that he was doing last season because there was obviously some deficiencies there. Exactly. So is he going to be able to become the kind of player that can play with Pedersen on a top line with regularity and be effective? That's really the question. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. And that's what you're looking for, right? Like, all due respect to a midweek game against uh, the AHL Farm Club of the Chicago Blackhawks, which is what a lot of that was, let's be dead honest. That's great that he had the production in the first period, and it's great that he got a start at the end of the game, and it's great to talk it through him out there to protect a 2 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one thought that Chicago was mounting a serious challenge in that game. Yeah. They had some pretty decent looks in the third period, yes, but that game felt pretty comfortable. It felt like a pretty comfortable situation to throw Kuzmenko into. Uh, the chrome blue helmets. Let's just talk about it for A-Dog's sake. Sure. Because A-Dog is a Why little child. Sake? Well, you I love feel like stuff, you love you? this stuff. I was actually saying, Laddie, before the show, helmets don't really do much for me. I don't really care what they look like, as long as they oh. don't look like the Golden Knights eyesores. Like, they can't be, like, the shiny gold ones. Yeah, other, you, other than that, I don't really care too much. Yeah, I hate the L.A. and Vegas Chrome oh, they're the ones. worst. They're, yeah. They're garish. They're eyesores. Uh, I didn't mind the Canucks blue Chrome helmets. Yeah, I'm not. Fine. I don't like a homer to me. It's I don't like. No, they No, they just they they. They're they shiny. Look, yeah, they. I think they look a little less garish. Yeah, like, I they're a little subtler. Them. I wouldn't choose them, but I. I don't. When I when I watch uh, LA and Vegas play, I'm like, this is this is 
this is dumb. Yeah. That they're out there. It distracts from the actual game. Yeah, I don't think the Canucks helmets would. No, I'm trying to understand. JT imp- Miller clearly doesn't like them. He, he does like not. Them. Yeah, I'm, tr- <laughs> I'm trying to understand the impetus behind the chrome buckets across the league. I don't yeah, know if this know. If, if it's a visual thing. If did someone- Vegas started or LA started? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Vegas must have started, but it. you kind of can. Maybe the, the kids like it on a on a certain level. You can understand why Vegas and Los Angeles did it because gold and silver are often associated with bling. Yeah, and mm. with shiny and with, you know grills. Chains, diamonds, rings. And Vegas, is, Vegas especially. Like, Vegas is but a flashy town. They need yeah, a grill mouth guard to yeah, go with say, these shiny shiny. Well, they should let them wear thinking, actual grills. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, with the connection should all come <laughs> and out. And the grills it. should say their last names on them. Like, well, that's Rrr. right. In rubies across their <laughs> yeah. teeth. Yeah. I think we've done <laughs> just about enough. Expensive. We've done yeah. just about enough of the chrome bucket analysis here. We should talk about tonight's opponent, the St. Louis Blues. And it's interesting because the St. Louis Blues, you put it as they're just sort of meandering and middling their way along, which is accurate. They are uh, three points out of the playoffs. They sit uh, not one spot out, but two spots out from behind the final wild card uh, holder, which is the Nashville Predators. In between them sits the plucky Arizona Coyotes, who have actually won a couple games in a row now after losing to Vancouver. They've gotten better under new head coach Drew Bannister. You have to say that. In the 16 games under Bannister, they're 10-6-1. They've got a points percentage of nearly 600, so they're better. Yet nobody seems to be really enthused about the Blues, quote-unquote, turning their season around under Drew Bannister, and that includes the people that cover the Blues. You know who wasn't very enthused with the Blues turnaround? Uh, Calgary Flames fans last night. So there was that. Um, If you missed it, the Flames looked as though they were on their way to victory against the St. Louis Blues last night. They got out to a, I don't want to say comfortable, but it felt comfortable having watched a game 3-1 lead over the Blues, and then the Blues scored three unanswered goals, <laughs> including the game winner by Brandon Saad with 48 seconds left, a goal that Jacob Markstrom, who I don't know if you saw his post-game media availability, he was wearing a hat. He looked like he had never worn a baseball hat before in his life. It was perched so to- far atop his head. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what was going on. I Little league to, style, like not even. It was backwards and it was on top. It kind of looked like a beanie. I don't know what was going on. Uh, I don't know if it just you know someone <laughs> threw it on him at the last second. But Markstrom tried to take ownership of the goal for the Flames, which cost them big time because they need points desperately. They well, couldn't even get that thing into overtime. That's three losses in a row, right? Because yeah. they lost to the Leafs when they went there, and then they lost the Battle of Alberta on Hockey Day in Canada. You were kidding. It was and, on top of his head. You see it? Yeah. I was trying to get a screen grab yesterday. It looked very I'll strange. send it to our group. That's, uh, so when are the Flames going to start selling? It's you know right like this. Well, you want to talk about isn't meandering? That, isn't, that, isn't that the only? Isn't that the only thing that's worth talking about with this Calgary Flames team? Like they're, where are they in the standings? They got, they're just what hanging around with. Well, everyone? the reason the reason I introduced hanging the same, around with the Blues. The reason I introduced tonight's opponent, the St. Louis Blues, in the manner that I did is because it actually kind of dovetailed into the Calgary Flames conversation in that they're very similar. They're just sort of meandering along where they'll string together two or three wins and they'll scratch out a point in overtime of the shootout and then they'll lose three in a row, which is the streak that they're on right now. Uh, They're right in that mushy middle of the outside of the wildcard contention. It's still relatively tight points-wise with all those teams, but all those teams, the big issue is you have to leapfrog so many of your other middling teams just to get into the spot where Nashville is. And I'm not sure that Calgary 
has it, especially since there's such huge decisions for Craig Conroy on the horizon with you, all these unrestricted free do agents. You think they, do you think it is a huge decision or it should be a huge decision for Craig Conroy on whether or not to bring Elias Lindholm? Feels like it is. Like he's not. It feels like it is how, because of Kadri and because of Huberto. Yeah, but don't you think it would just be absolutely foolish to sign this guy to a long term contract? To what? Do you remember what they were tossing around for Lindholm? It was like the Horvat comparison. Yep, that's kind of what the standard is for he's, what he might get. He's twenty nine years old. How many points does he have this season? Like he's not he's not having a good year, and a lot of people, yeah, he's got thirty one points in forty seven games. He's a minus eight. He's not. This is he doesn't have those numbers that he had a couple of seasons ago. He's getting older, mm-hmm. and you're going to lock him into a big contract in Calgary. It seems like an obvious trade situation, and frankly, if I'm Lindholm, I'm probably thinking, hmm, God, if I had something on the table. A little while ago, maybe if she uh, signed it because my contract year is not going like Horvat's contract year did. They're a very strange team in terms of how they're going right now because you'd say that the two highest paid guys and the two most high profile guys are probably Lindholm and Huberto just based on money, right? Because Lindholm's going to get paid and Huberto already did. They are not near the top of the team in terms of scoring. Their best player this year has been Blake Coleman. If you want to look at it, he's been fantastic. And if you look at that, then you're saying, well, our best players right now, at least in terms of point production, are Coleman. And then Nazem Kadri's actually had a nice turnaround to his year, right? And you're saying, well, these are two veteran guys that we kind of secured long term. Are we going to or can we even go through any semblance of a rebuild with these guys leading the charge? Yeah, but you don't want to throw good money after bad. Well, they already have. Well, the, stop then. Yeah. I you mean, know, and that it, could it, be it, Conroy's MO is like, I was brought in to not throw good money after bad. I, I assume that at a certain point, they're going to wave the white flag on this season. Maybe it'll come mm-hmm. at the trade deadline or sorry, at the trade deadline at the all-star break where everyone in Calgary just finally takes a sit look back and is like, okay, wonder, what are we doing here? I wonder how many things happen at the all-star break. I wonder about the flames. I wonder about the penguins. Do they look at where they are right now and what's been going on and did they make uh, a decision on Jake Gensel? Because uh, there are some teams that like to do these deals well in advance of the trade deadline and you might get a better return if you acquiesce to those to that timing. Um, now, I still feel like the Penguins could make the playoffs. Like I think the Penguins are a better team than the Flames or at least I think they have a better chance of making a run than the Flames if they get into the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I might be wrong about that, but I I, I just I think they do. Um, the other one is obviously, and I know Drager was reporting that he expects Pedersen to at least meet with his agents in Toronto during right. the All-Star game. I mean, it is Toronto, right? Those agencies have offices in Toronto. They have a presence in Toronto. So are we going to see anything out of that? Um I don't know at this point. You know what? I don't even know if Pedersen's agents know. I think the line from Pedersen has just been after the season, after the season. But we all know what Pat Brisson said. It's possible to negotiate during the season, so we'll follow that one. So on the heels of the Calgary Flames conversation, the other team in Alberta, uh, there's no real question about what direction the Edmonton Oilers are going in. That is up and up and up the standings. They won their 14th consecutive game. It's funny 
When Jay Woodcroft got fired, I think I jokingly said the Oilers are going to have to rip off something like, I don't know, a 14-game win streak. Well, they've managed to do that thanks to a 4-1 victory against the Columbus Blue Jackets last night at Rogers Place in Edmonton. The Blue Jackets, of course, will be here on Saturday to take on the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, It wasn't even that good of a performance from Edmonton. They just sort of slogged it through 40 minutes and went into the third period, tied 1-1 with the Lowly Jackets, and then... They flipped the switch, three goals in the third. Evander Kane got the eventual game winner. And you look at the Edmonton Oilers right now, and there's a real question about who they're going to be able to catch in the standings, given how many teams they've already caught and surpassed. Yeah, sorry. I'm just reading some text messages into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and a lot of people are talking about, for the Canucks, getting a player like a Jake Gensel. Here's one. It would be good to get a player in earlier so they can figure out chemistry. If they get Gensel, it would be good to figure out what line combinations work best with him, get him to understand the system, etc. I I think there's really something to that. Get a player in a little bit earlier and and figure it out. Uh, But we can can relook at this conversation later in the show. we got lots of time. Erickson Eck is... Yeah, that would be great long-term. Oh, so good. You know, long-term. He'd be, I, but that's going to cost a lot. Like, that is, that, that's, not getting, that's not getting Lindholm. I think the price for him would be even higher than, you know, Gensel, even though the price for Gensel's going to be high. Well, Erickson Eck, at least, you, is not a rental. Like, I, I'm fine if the cost is yeah. high if it's not a rental. And that's why I don't think the Wild are going to trade him, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's The Wild do happen. not sound like they are at all interested yeah. in going into seller mode. Russo had the report out there after Jared Spurgeon went down to injury that mm-hmm. they were looking at finding a rental defenseman to fill the gap as opposed to being, okay, maybe this isn't our year. Our captain's gone for the season. We're woefully underperforming. Now's the time to start selling off whatever we can. Doesn't sound like they're interested in doing it. And I do wonder if that has to do with the mentality of the general manager, Bill Guerin, who is very determined to make this season work. They already mm-hmm. went to the coaching change. He's already had the meetings with the players trying to snap them into gear. So I don't know what direction the wild's going to take but i would highly doubt that erickson x going to shake free uh as for the oilers there might be a discussion that we can have about whether or not the oilers could catch the canucks for the division lead i know a lot of you will look at the standings and say (laughs) there's a 13 point deficit between the canucks and the oilers the oilers have four games in hand remember the canucks played one of the heaviest schedules at the start of the season and that's good in a way for the Canucks because they're going to get more rest down the stretch. But it's bad because the Oilers are not losing any games. Yeah, they've won 14 in a row. <laughs> and, you know, if you look at their upcoming schedule, it's not all that hard. I think their next game is Chicago. Yeah, then they go into the break. Um, is it then right into the break? Okay, so they're probably going to win that one. That'd be awesome if Chicago broke <laughs> yeah, that streak. No kidding. That would be so good. Um, now, the Oilers are probably going to cool off a little bit, but... I would give the Oilers a 20-30% chance of catching the Canucks just because, um, listen, two two reasons. Everything's gone right for the Canucks in the first half of the season. You are know? you Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that they might not end the season not having more than a two-game losing streak, Jason, the Vancouver Canucks? Possibly. Are you suggesting possibly. that? How's the negativity? You know, Carson Soucy might be like, not everything's gone right for me. <laughs> it's true. But outside of that... A lot has gone right in terms of the health of the team and just 
how they're playing. Like they, it's a credit to them for sure. You know, the uh, their resilience, their their ability to reset after the odd bad performance. Uh, it's definitely a credit to them. But you know, things have things have gone right for them. Um, uh, number two, I, I think that unfortunately, that Oilers terrible start that we were all enjoying and laughing about and that the Canucks very much contributed to with three wins over the Oilers. I hate to say it, but that thing is looking like a blessing in disguise for the Oilers right now. I think it gave them motivation that they didn't have. I think it just got them on the right track. They mm-hmm. changed the coach. A little adversity never hurts, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and And they had it, and it's a great reminder to that team that if you don't do the things that are important – if you get ahead of yourself, and I think that's kind of what happened to them, they got ahead of themselves. You know, sure. they were they were in training camp talking cup or bust, and everyone was picking them to win the cup, and they were they were talking about the you know the playoffs because they were so upset about what happened during the Vegas series. They thought that they they forgot that oh we got to prepare for the Vancouver Canucks for the first two games, and then mm-hmm. the Canucks dealing them that loss shook them right. 8-1, and then they play a little bit better, a lot better in Game 2 against the Canucks, but they still find a way to lose. Like, they were rat- they were a rattled team for, like, what, a month and a half? But they've pulled themselves out of it in spectacular fashion. Yeah. And it's funny, people say, like, we never saw this coming. It's like, yeah, but, you know, some people kind of suggested that it was possible, that the Oilers were perfectly capable of winning 10 in a row or 11 in a row and rattling it off. And that's why not many people, like, wrote them off after that start, whereas you'd write off kind of a team that hadn't done it before like them. Like, they'd had good regular seasons. They still had Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, some really good players on that team. So they were kind of like, yeah, they could do it. It's doubtful that they're going to do it, but they're doing it right now. And I think, unfortunately, that bad start is going to end up being a blessing in disguise for that team. Uh, coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, the hockey conversation continues with Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. That's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Real quick, uh, what we learned today, if you put a ticket prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Blue Jackets on Saturday, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena, it's our uh, daily giveaway here. Remember how last week we were giving away a bunch of tickets to go see Merrick and Frege and the crew, the live 32 Thoughts show in Victoria? Mm-hmm. We're doing it again today. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji 
Uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Let's go to the phone lines now. Jeff Merrick joins us on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. You know what I love? What? Uh, I love watching hockey players, you know, after their careers are over, still thanking their billet families. I'm just going through Twitter. I'm looking at Eric Lindros's, uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter feed, and uh, he's thanking his billet mom who turned 85 today. I don't know whether this is just me getting older or whatever, and everything hits a different emotional core, but I just love players thanking their billet families. You know, we talk a lot about the unsung heroes in all of hockey, and I always focus on scouts, you know, the backbone of the industry and blah, 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 frozen roads and bad coffee and Zamboni fumes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I There's a real spot in my heart and a real big spot in heaven, I think, for, for billet families, specifically billet moms. So just before I came on, I just passed through Lindros's feed there, and I, I saw happy birthday, baby Jean, 85 years old today, Eric Lindros's billet mom. Anyway, good morning, boys. Good morning. So one of my best buddies in high school, he went and played uh, junior in a Soyuz with, uh, it was actually the, oh, around yeah. the same time Chuck Kobasu played. We went up and visited oh, nice. him, and the billet family was like, you can stay with us, absolutely. It was like me and three other guys. God bless those people, because we were the biggest yeah. slobs on the planet. <laughs> we absolutely destroyed their house, <laughs> ate them out of every bit of food that they had, and they were the happiest yeah. people on the planet. It was great. Yep, just happy to have hockey kids around. I mean, the the, the grocery bills are enormous. Feeding yep. teenagers is not uh, not inexpensive. Everybody, uh, and they do it all for you know like uh, a couple of bucks uh, and and season tickets to their favorite junior hockey team. So I'm with you, man. Bless all of them. Bless all of them. Uh, before we get into all this stuff, how was Victoria Hockey Day in Canada? The live show at Wicked Hall. How'd you enjoy it? Loved it. You know, I was, I was texting Bane Pettinger, the agent, on the way back, and he's from Victoria. And I, I text him, like, you know, Bane, you're from Victoria. Why would you ever leave? Like, I, I'm always reminded, you know, how, how gorgeous it is. Obviously, when I, when I go there, my sister and her family live in Duncan. Uh, and they came down on the first night, and we had a, a wonderful a wonderful meal at Spaghetti Factory, guys. The old Spaghetti Factory, which I am happy to report looks exactly the same as it did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I but hope I, you didn't fill up on bread. It's hard not to, dude. I know. I know. <laughs> so hard not to. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, first of all, I love Victoria. It's gorgeous. It's really grown since I've been. Uh, I mean, I think the last time I was there was probably 20 years ago. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot bigger since, and, and more people live on the island. So, A, I love it there. It's gorgeous. Uh, the people are wonderful. I love Victoria. Um, and Wicked Hall was cool. Like, it's a, it was a great event. And I'll tell you, Bieksa was fantastic. Berkey was great. James Patrick told great, like, tremendous stories about both Dominic Hasek, uh, who he played with when he played with the Buffalo Sabres, and also the 1987 Canada Cup, and his perspective as a, you know, bottom-pairing defenseman on this glorious uh, hockey team. Um, but what I love, and I hope this, this kind of seems like it's a trend when we do these live events, and you guys probably have the same thing. I love when people come out to live events and wear the most obscure hockey jerseys. Just to, just to send a message. It's like like the hipster in you comes out a little bit. Like There was a uh, Toronto Toros Frank Mahovlich jersey, which I really appreciated. But there was also, and this one stole the show, someone had an Indianapolis Racers jersey. And whose name bar do you think was on it? Uh, was it Gretzky? It was not. It was Andy Brown. 
Oh, Andy Brown for the hipsters out there, the last man to, uh, to go maskless in both the NHL and the WHA. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Like it it, it was great. Well, listen, we droned on way too long. Like we booked like two hours to to do the show. (laughs) Not a chance. We were just like blowing through stop signs, blowing through stop signs. Um, I don't know. We went to some really obscure places. Like I, I know just to, just to kill time between segments, the Stanley cup was there. Phil Pritchard came along and then the cup had to go somewhere else to it, to a charity event. So they took the cup and I was just killing time during transitions. And I turned to Elliot and said, Elliot, you ever wondered why there's a beaver on top of the Vesna trophy? And then that turned into an entire discussion and that discussion continues online. And I don't know. It was just like, I love these things. Uh, so this was uh, another chapter in my love of doing these, these live events. Will Phil, so, Pritchard, a lot of fun. will Phil Pritchard's hair go into the after, after his career? Whenever okay. Phil decides to hang him up, the feathers and the gloves, yeah. have to, there has to be something for Phil there. Yeah. Uh, the feathers and the gloves. I mean, it's one of the great traditions, right? Like you just wait. It, we, we all know the shot is coming, right? Like the best cutaway shots. Uh, and during a Stanley Cup, you know, a potential Stanley Cup winning game are always Phil shining the cup. Mm-hmm. Like we've all seen it. We all know it's coming. It's one of the great traditions in hockey. Phil with those great feathers and those white gloves, just shining the cup and, and, and getting it ready. The other thing you should know about Phil, I'm not sure how well you know him. I've never met is, him. Just making fun of his hair. Oh, hair. I was like, is that Glenn like, Sather from the 80s? What's going you, on? You, you should have him on. Phil's fantastic. He's a tremendous guest. And he is a, as you would imagine, walking encyclopedia. But much like me, I'm not putting myself above anyone here because I don't know the answer. He doesn't know either why there's a beaver on top of the Vesna Trophy. Okay, well, we'll, we'll try and we'll we'll get we'll get a dog and laddie on that <laughs> on the Google machine. Um, okay, Jeff, we were having this conversation uh, earlier in the show. Will the Oilers' slow start? that unfortunately for Jay Woodcroft cost him his job. Will that end up yeah. being a blessing in disguise for this team? In what sense? Because Chris Knobloch's been so good afterwards? No, just that they learned that they can't get ahead of themselves. Like, I feel like that's what happened to them. Like, they, I, they, they started talking about the playoffs before the regular season was even done. Well, you I mean, Elliot and I were there for training camp, and the mantra was Stanley Cup or bust. I mean, that's pretty high bar, um, but that's what they that's what they expected, and that's the, the bar that Woodcroft set. Like, I, I think we're all on the same page about a, a couple of things here. There were two main reasons why the Edmonton Oilers had that horrible start. One, goaltending. Their goaltending was atrocious. Now, the defense was allowing a lot of high-danger chances, as the analytics crowd would tell you. Um, and the other one is, Connor McDavid wasn't healthy. Matthias Eichholm wasn't healthy. You know, remember early in the season when we had the, the Jersey tuck conspiracy talk and is he untucking it because he's, he has some sort of padding mm-hmm. uh, around, you know, to protect maybe an oblique injury or something like that. And then all of a sudden he's healthy again. He's tucking his Jersey. I mean, that's how goofy we got with this thing. But I think that a healthy McDavid, a healthy um, uh, Matthias Eichholm, uh, to to go you know to to go along with better goaltending. Stuart Skinner himself is on a personal eleven game rip. Uh, the team is on the fourteen. I think those are the those are the two main reasons why why things turn around. But I I never mind like I I don't mind a team that goes in having high expectations for themselves. And you know I I think that all successful teams do. Like I think the Boston Bruins still did this year even though they were down Marchand and, and Krejci. I think the Rangers did this year, despite the fact that they lost to the New Jersey Devils in a really emotional series in the playoffs last year. I think that Vegas uh, went in with the, with the same feeling. I think a lot of elite teams 
go in with that. You know, it's the Stanley Cup or it's a, it's not a successful season mentality. So I didn't I didn't mind that from the Oilers. Um, could the All Star break signal? the time to wave the white flag for some of these teams like Calgary yeah. had a, had a bad loss last night you know you blow That's a two goal, goal lead at home uh to a team like St. Louis no disrespect to St. Louis but they're not a great team um, yeah. That's three losses in a row now. They lost to Toronto. They lost to Edmonton and on Hockey Day in Canada. And now that loss, the Blues. I'm thinking about a team like Minnesota. Are they going to wave the white flag soon? Um, and also Pittsburgh. You know that will that own goal that uh, Malkin oh swept into his own goal in uh, in Arizona. Will that signal? For Kyle Dubas, some sort of, all right, maybe it's not our year this year. Let's talk about trading Gensel. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, there there are, if, if things really go awry here and they do wave the towel and you look, if you just want to isolate one moment, I, I think you're right about Pittsburgh and Arizona. The Latang passed and the lazy one-handed play along the goal line by Malkin. Uh, Lawson Krauss scores a goal without taking a shot. I think that'll be the one that we'll look at and kind of say that was Pittsburgh's season specifically because it's two Hall of Famers, you know, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin. And I wonder if, if Calgary, you know, ends up, you know, waving, waving the, uh, the white towel here, the white flag, and saying that's it for us, how much we look at that Brandon Saad goal last night that gave the St. Louis Blues the win with 48 seconds left. But, you know, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of other teams that we, that we wonder about here and, and throwing in the towel. Um, you know, I think Minnesota, obviously, is one. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, even though they just went on a massive rip, now they're kind of looking the other direction. I, I think we all do wonder about the Seattle Kraken. Um, you know, Ron Francis, you know, hasn't, you know, hasn't been a, a manager that's been in this position before with this Kraken team where, you know, you're, you're right there. Are we in, are we out? Are we going to be able to catch any of these teams? Um, I still think that the Arizona Coyotes are punching above their weight and the mantra there is still rebuild and accrue assets and draft picks. And I think we wonder what happens with that one. And I kind of almost see like St. Louis and Calgary as almost being interchangeable. And I think, you know, we'll all wonder, you know, leading up until trade deadline, I think we'll all wonder about someone like Colton Pareko and, and what the decision is going to be there ultimately. And this is this finally the season where they do something and, and move on from someone like Colton Pareko. So I think there's, I think there's a handful of teams, but at the same time too, I can't remember a year where the where the, the playoffs and the Stanley Cup have been more wide open uh, than there've been. So I I think it'll be an, an interesting trade deadline period. The day itself is you know has been the last couple of years kind of a dud, but I'm still back and forth on whether this is going to be a buyer's or a seller's market come trade deadline and, and who's going to be involved. But make no mistake about it, like you said, Minnesota. I think that's a really intriguing one to follow here because every time Bill Guerin opens his mouth, he's always saying we're not quitting, we're not quitting, we're not quitting, and then the evidence keeps piling up that you know you might want to you might want to you might want to surrender here so you can fight another day. Uh, Jeff, the tone of this conversation is going to change dramatically here because we do have uh, breaking okay. news with regards to the 2018 World Junior Team that has been under investigation. Uh, per Rick Westhead of TSN, by way of Robin Doolittle of the Globe and Mail, uh, five members of the 2018 Canadian Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender 
to London, Ontario police to face charges of sexual assault. This is per the Globe and Mail reports, citing unnamed sources. Furthermore, the Globe went on to report that the players who have not yet been charged have been given a set period of time to present themselves at London police headquarters. So I will turn uh, the floor over to you now. Uh, thoughts, maybe some uh, additional detail if you know anything, or just even your reaction to the news that the five members of the 2018 World Junior Team have been told to surrender to police to face charges of sexual assault per, per the Globe and Mail. Yeah, this... Um I don't think I don't think anyone is or should be surprised necessarily. I think we've all been, you know, wondering where this is uh, this is headed, and you know, the NHL um, has been very has been very careful about how they talk about this situation. Hockey Canada the same way. Like it, it's one of those it's one of those stories where you have to be so careful with your words. You can't be casual about any part of the conversation just because the stakes are so extremely high. Um, so I don't know that any of us should necessarily be surprised because what have we all been waiting for here? The London police investigation, right? Nothing, nothing seemed to be able to move forward until the London police finished their mm-hmm. investigation. And that's what... You know, the NHL, whenever they were asked about it, always talked about we have to wait for the investigation to conclude. We have to wait for the investigation to conclude. I know it was frustrating for a lot of people, but at the same time, these investigations, as sensitive as they are, need to be handled very delicately and can take a long time. It doesn't fit a timeline. Like, for the way, it doesn't fit a social media timeline where we want things to happen quickly and we want answers fast and you want justice swiftly. Um, that's not how it goes. So I don't know that anyone is necessarily or should be necessarily surprised that, um, you know, according to the Globe and Mail, this is, uh, this looks to be the beginning of some type of outcome, um, for this, for this case. I think this was something that we are all waiting for. And given how sensitive all of it is, uh, I think everyone was concerned about saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and just waited for the London police to, to conclude their investigation. How did it take this long? I know these things sometimes do, but did the London police have to reopen the case? I can't quite remember no, all I, the details. I wish I, could, I wish I could give you a great answer on that one. I mean, no details are coming out of the London police. I mean, there was... You know, uh, all we kept getting told is the investigation is, is ongoing. Like, I don't think that the London police wanted any information or speculation out there. Um, didn't want um, any uh, anything to uh, to hamper or, or hinder the investigation itself. I know that the vacuum of silence creates, you know, rumors and creates, you know, uh, in some cases, a lot of false talk. Um, and I, I do understand that, but I, I, I listen. I, I've never worked in that industry, so I'm only speculating. I'm guessing that was the more the, the, that silence, the, the silence of the London police. The main motivation was they didn't want anything to get in the way of you know their as thorough an investigation as, as they could lay before themselves here. Um, before doing allegedly you hear what Robin Doolittle uh, mentions uh, in the in the Globe and Mail. I don't know why investigations take the time that they do. Some I feel are rushed. 
Others, I feel, take a long time, but having never worked in that industry, I, I, I can't speak with any authority. Okay, well, Jeff, you've obviously got a pretty busy day ahead of you now. We'll let you go. Oh, yeah. Thanks, as always, for doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, good luck with today, and we'll do this again next week. Yes, talk in seven days, gentlemen. Thanks. Uh, Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts Podcast here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So here's a, a part of the Globe and Mail story about it. An initial investigation by the London police was closed without charges in February of 2019. More than a year ago, London police filed an application with the Ontario Court of Justice seeking approval for various investigative measures. In the 94-page document, police said they had reasonable grounds to believe that five members of the 2018 team sexually assaulted a woman in a hotel room. So, yes... The case was reopened, perhaps under public pressure um, to do so after the incident became public knowledge, or at least the allegations became public knowledge. So uh, point out right now that two members of that team have taken leave of absence in the last couple of days. Carter Hart from the Philadelphia Flyers yesterday and Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames a few days before that, although he did cite mental health reasons as the reasons to take that leave. As um, opposed to Carter Hart, who uh, left for personal reasons. Yeah, So and the Flyers had no comment at the time. All they said was Carter Hart has requested and been granted an indefinite leave of absence citing personal reasons. Now, Flyers GM Danny Briere was supposed to speak to the media this morning. It was planned as part of like a mid-season meet with reporters. They had the request, sorry not to interrupt, but they had had the request though they were uh, dating back to the Cutter Goche situation. Actually. Right. Oh, he hasn't even talked. He yeah, hasn't yeah. even spoken since then. He had the address in a scrum, but he just had his sort of pre-prepared remarks about Cutter Goche. Right. Took a couple questions. Okay. But after that, they're like, "We'd love to get a mid-season State of Union address." So I don't know if Danny Breer is going to say anything more about Carter Hart than what is already being said. We'll but certainly be asked about it if you're just joining us. Um, in case you missed it. Um, this is all being reported by the Globe and Mail and TSN's Rick Westhead, and it is that five members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender to London, Ontario police to face charges of sexual assault. Uh, the Globe and Mail reports citing unnamed sources, um, reports the players who have not been charged yet have been given a set period of time to present themselves at London Police Headquarters. So this was, we were all waiting for something to happen here. There were multiple investigations going on. Uh, the London Police had one. The NHL had one. But So Gary Bettman, we keep getting asked about this. When is the NHL's report going to be uh, presented? And he said, it's close, it's close, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But it hasn't arrived yet. And what probably happened was the NHL wasn't going to go before the London police and present their findings while the London police were, you know, investigating this on a criminal charge. Um, we'll see what happens with the criminal matter. We'll see what the league has to say about it. It's an ugly situation. A tra- 
Um, and uh, the hammer is starting to fall for a lot of these players. Now feels like a good time to reset everything on the Halford and Brush Show. It's been an eventful first hour of the show. I'll set up what's coming up in the second and third hours. Uh, in the 7 o'clock hour, we are going to speak to Ryan Wolstat from the Toronto Sun. He is a, the Raptors and NBA beat writer. For the Sun, we will talk to him uh, about a multitude of things across the NBA, including everything that's gone on with the Toronto Raptors, with the trades of OG and Yanobi, and Pascal Siakam. At 7.30, Randy Mueller is going to join us. He's the former general manager of the New Orleans Saints and the Miami Dolphins. He now works as a, um, a writer for The Athletic. We'll talk to him about all the news, notes, moves, and otherwise going on in the National Football League at the general manager and head coaching positions. We are giving away a pair of tickets today to see the Canucks and Blue Jackets play on Saturday. That will go to the best what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. Text into the number number text line at 650-650 with the hashtag WWL and a ticket emoji to be entered into the contest. Finally, I need to tell you that you can reserve your spot for the big football party at the Clayton Public House hosted by Sportsnet 650. Visit theclaytonpub.com on the internet. Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. Hour two coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.